This is your health space. We bring you current evidence-based information, interviews and stories, so you can make better health choices for yourself and your family. Over to our host, Nick Wood. Welcome back to the Health Space Podcast. It's been quite a break, but we're back on track now for a regular podcast. Our guest for season two, our first guest, is actually a physiotherapist, Isaac Sirhan. He's actually the head physiotherapist at Health Space. He's fantastic across all sports injuries, common everyday injuries, you know, pregnancy, you name it. He's the sort of physiotherapist that can fix anything in anybody. But today, we're going to focus on shoulders. Isaac, how are you? Very, very good, thank you. How are you? That could not be better. Sunshine Coast is warm. It feels like summer up here already, so happy days. We're catching up here in Sydney. It's starting to get warm. Starting. Awesome. So the podcast today is going to help people understand a bit more about shoulder injuries because like, it appears to me that every second person has shoulder pain or a shoulder injury. Why is it, do you think, that everyone's got shoulder injuries these days? Yeah, definitely. Good question. I think a mixture of a couple of things. You know, we, we deal with so many different people battling their shoulder pain in the clinics pretty much on a daily basis. And there are a lot of common factors with all these people. And I think most probably the single-handedly biggest factor they all have in common is a desk job of some sort. Now, what, what I mean by this is someone sitting at their desk nine to five, and then they've been doing this for quite some, some amount of time, heading into a gym afterwards, their body's pretty stiff to begin with lacking movement in their upper back, their neck, their shoulders, the body stiffens up and just puts more pressure in places where it doesn't need to be. When you're sitting down, your shoulder sort of tends to come forward a bit, doesn't it, on the mouse or on the computer? Which is not ideal for shoulder, I guess, lifting, is it? No, definitely not. When your shoulder gets rolled forward into that position, it closes off a joint space. And when we're closing off that joint space within the shoulder, it's going to make it harder for what's called your rotator cuff. It's a group of muscles which helps provide support to the shoulder it's going to make it hard for them to breathe, so to speak. You know, if you're closing off the space for the shoulder, it's got less room to move. And not only that, if, if we've got a stiff upper back from sitting all day, the shoulder blade, which forms a big part of our shoulder chain, won't really move too well. So it's going to just stiffen up, stiffen up even further. And how does that stiffness lead to pain, Isaac? Yeah, cool. So a lack of movement over time can also secondarily result to weakness. Now, this is something that we see quite common in the clinic where the lack of movement and the stiffness leads to what we call as deconditioning. You know, that saying, if you don't use something, you lose it. That essentially happens quite commonly in the shoulder and upper back region. You know, if we're rounding out forward, our shoulder muscles start to get lazy. But then what we ask of them in our everyday life, and when we're going back to the gym, we're asking a lot more that they can tolerate because sitting down all day at the desk, they've deconditioned a fair bit over time gotten weaker, and then suddenly before you know it, all our simple everyday tasks start to get a little bit harder. So first stiffness, then weakness again. How's the weakness lead to pain? Weakness over time. Over time will lead to that deconditioning we spoke about earlier. It's going to throw off all the biomechanics within the shoulder. Now, what, what we usually see once someone's deconditioned a fair amount is that we can see some, in some cases some muscle wasting. We can see a lack of movement. You know, as a result of this lack of movement, Things can sometimes get inflamed over time. Now, with all of that happening, it sounds quite messy, quite ugly. If this same person is doing something that they used to do their whole life, such as going to the gym, but the key difference is now they're not moving, their muscles are getting weaker, but this person is used to keeping up with their regular fitness regime, 
they're pushing a lot more than they can tolerate. So at some point, the body is going to, to give. And I, I love to explain this not only to some of my patients, but some also, also some other practitioners as my bucket of water analogy. Have you heard that analogy before, Nick? Have I spoken to you about it? No, I haven't heard it. All right, I'll, I'll try and be brief then. So if we've got a bucket of water and it's pretty much near full, all right? Now let's think of the water as your workload, your everyday stress, your gym exercise, your relationship concerns. Your, your, bot, your bucket is getting quite full, right? Now at some point, let's think of this bucket as your shoulder and its ability to tolerate all this extra load. Let's think of water as our extra load. Load can be physical load, as in exercise, overall sets, reps, volume in the gym. It can be joint stiffness from sitting, at, sitting down all day, which will fill up that bucket even quicker. At some point, if we take more load, as in, let's say, some gym exercise, throw it into an already full bucket, what would you say would happen to the bucket if it's already full and we add more? I'm going to overflow, I guess, isn't it? I'll move to, yeah. Exactly. It'll, it'll overflow. So that's the best way I summarize it to, to my patients in the clinic and other practitioners. If you've got a bucket that's overflowing, you've got two choices, really. You can either pour out some water or buy a bigger bucket, right? Now, that's the analogy and that's the approach I help take with people's shoulder concerns. So we can pour out some of that water or reduce some of that load. And as I was saying earlier, that load might just be sitting down all day. So if we can pour out some of that water and get this person moving throughout the day, get a bit more mobility through our joints, there's less water in our bucket, therefore we can tolerate adding more. Now, what I mean by adding more, it could be something as simple as picking up your kids after work. It could be your gym exercise. Either way, we're adding more water into that bucket. But if it's already full, at some point it's going to give, it'll overflow. I'm glad you mentioned that about kids because I know, I mean, a lot of gym people have shoulder injuries, but it's, they're so common in people that go nowhere near the gym. I guess, you know, hanging clothes on the line, anything where the you lift, you know, hands above the shoulder height, it definitely can load that shoulder into a painful way if you're not well conditioned. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And I guess that, that probably forms up the bulk of, you know, the people we help with their sore shoulders. It's not necessarily always gym concerns. Like gym concerns, let's think of that bucket analogy. Usually it comes down to poor technique over time or lifting too much too soon. They weren't quite ready for it. But there's also a huge load outside of the gym. It could be repeatedly hanging clothes on the line. It could be carrying your kids. You know, I help, help a lot of new mums with shoulder pain, just hanging onto their babies, breastfeeding for a fair long time. It can load up the shoulder. It gets quite painful for them. So Isaac, you've spoken a bit about you know, the weakness and the stiffness. There's so many different types of shoulder injuries that appears. I mean, we know what... We hear about frozen shoulder, bursitis, tendonitis, uh, capsulitis, slat lesions. Can you help us understand a bit about the different type of shoulder injuries or different types of shoulder pain causes? Of course. So what, what we see quite commonly in the clinic is a whole range of different shoulder painful conditions. And as you've just already mentioned, quite a few. These are things that people come with us. They're armed, ready to go. Now, what I mean with that is they might have had a scan at some point and the scan might have revealed certain shoulder conditions. Alternatively, we might be treating someone for a fairly long time, not getting the result we're quite after, we'll send them off for a scan, and it might reveal one of those conditions. So I guess some of the common conditions we deal with in the clinic are inflamed tendons or areas around the tendons. We refer to these as tendinopathies or partial tears of a tendon. Now, I guess once upon a time, we used to think these things were quite scary, you know, having a tendonitis, a tendinopathy partial tears, full thickness tears. 
But what we now know and what we experience on a daily basis is that our bodies are amazing. And what I mean by that is we adapt quite well. We adapt really well to treatment, to exercise, to rehab, and we can help with these conditions. So I guess if you have a painful shoulder, it doesn't necessarily mean it's always due to something we see in that scan, such as you know a supraspinatus tear, which we see quite common, a degenerative tear in a supraspinatus or a knee partial or a partial thickness tear in the supraspinatus. I guess what we know these days with shoulders, especially in the, in the body overall, but since we're talking on shoulders, as we age, we know our human body, our tendons, they get a little bit weaker. So when we see things on scans like a partial thickness tear, it's not quite a reason to write someone off as having shoulder pain and they're going to be damaged for the rest of their life. There's lots of things we can do. So I guess if there's one point people can take from this, if they've been diagnosed in the past with something like a bursitis, partial thickness tear, a tendonitis, there's a lot we can do to help, a lot you can do to help actually as well. And I guess some other more conditions we get and something which I see quite commonly misdiagnosed, I think you touched on early, Nick, is frozen shoulder. Now, sometimes somebody can have a stiff shoulder as a result of a bursitis which is in, think of it as like a little inflamed jelly bean within the shoulder. Now, we've all got these little jelly beans called bursas. Their job is to lubricate our joint, keep things moving nicely. If that gets a little bit angry, a little bit overworked, just think back to that buck analogy we spoke about earlier, it can get inflamed. Sometimes when the inflammation is quite significant, it can cause someone's shoulder to get stiff and moving their arm becomes quite painful, quite uncomfortable. I guess something we see quite commonly, which is misdiagnosed, is frozen shoulder. So what I mean by that is a lot of people just Google their symptoms. They might find, hey, my shoulder's stiff, must have frozen shoulder. Now, why this becomes a problem for us in clinic is what we can do for frozen shoulder takes time. You know, it can take up to 18 months, sometimes two years to get a good outcome. That is a huge difference to helping somebody deal with a shoulder condition, a rotator cuff pathology with an associated bursitis. We can get results in those in about 10 weeks. Now, I guess I'm rambling on here, but where I'm going with this, if somebody has something that you've seen on a scan like a bursitis or any sort of other rotator cuff pathology we touched on earlier, that can also lead in a stiff shoulder, but there's a lot more we can do to help those. We know much more about those. That's actually awesome. And not rambling at all. I, I've taken a few great points out of that, Isaac, that a lot of people come in with what, you know, what they call frozen shoulder that isn't actually a frozen shoulder, which is actually a good sign because if it's not a true frozen shoulder, they tend to get much faster results. Definitely. There are a lot of people that have got actual MRI diagnoses of tears that it doesn't mean they're in for surgery. It means that there's a lot we can often do for them by the sound of it. Yeah, most definitely. And I actually get a little bit of a smile on my face when these people come in because you get to offer them some hope. You know, In some cases, if somebody has had shoulder pain, they had a chat with their neighbor at a local barbecue, their neighbor told them, oh, yep, I had a shoulder condition. I went and saw my doctor, got an MRI done. These people are coming armed with the MRI report and they've somewhat lost all hope because an MRI report which shows an inflamed bursa or a thickened bursa with some tears it sounds scary. It sounds scary. So it's pretty cool knowing that we can do a fair bit to help these people get better. Isaac, I know with low back, there's some great research showing that you know, there's a big percentage of asymptomatic people, so people with no symptoms, that have lesions or you know, 
things in MRI that yeah. could explain pain, but they have no pain. With the shoulder, is there a certain percent of people or any research done showing that people you know, with no symptoms at all actually have these tears as well? Heaps, yeah, heaps. The, the numbers are scary high, like 80%. Now, what that means is, so the studies have shown 80% of scans can reveal some sort of pathology, whether it be a bursitis, a tear, AC joint inflammation, whatever it might be. But these people, they don't necessarily display symptoms. Now, it's real funny you talk about this because I've actually been helping someone through quite a painful shoulder related to work. He hurt himself for quite some time now. And he was very hell-bent on the fact that his shoulder pain was due to one of his tears. He had a partial thickness tear in his supraspinatus, like we mentioned earlier. And he couldn't shake that idea that that wasn't causing him pain. So we actually went down a little, a little lesson. I wanted to help him understand that not all his pain is coming from this tear. Believe it or not, we actually MRI'd his good shoulder. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I sent him off for an MRI on his good shoulder just to help him learn something. And surprise, surprise, on his good shoulder, which had absolutely no pain, we found out that he had a thickened bursa. We found out that there was, uh, I think there was a partial thickness tear with him in his Terry's minor. Like, and he goes, Isaac, like, how do I have these tears and no pain? I guess, yeah, with shoulders, very similar to low back. Sometimes we can have some scary looky things on an MRI, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's related to disability. And I understand from a patient's perspective, it is confusing because it's sort of counterintuitive. It's sort of, you know, it makes sense that I have an MRI done, I have this pathology, okay, that's causing my pain, I need to work on that with surgery or whatever. But yeah, there's so much research that actually shows that's not the case. It's just a matter of getting that information out there so people understand that when they get that MRI or that ultrasound back and they read that, because often they do read it themselves, that there is still hope. Surgery is definitely not the first place to go when you, you, know, when you read these reports and understand you have a tear there. Injections like cortisone with these shoulder injuries. I guess, yeah, like you said, it's really cool when you know, we see this sort of stuff as it gives people hope. But at some point, all right, this person might come to you and that, a common question I do get, honestly, at least four or five times a week, it's, hey, should I go get a cortisone injection into my shoulder? You know, my MRI report shows that my tendons are inflamed or my bursa is inflamed, my doctors reckon I get a cortisone injection. Now, this sounds like a magical solution. You know, if I could get one simple injection that can get rid of my pain, it sounds like a magic, magic pill almost to help, right? But as we just said, sometimes we can have some things displaying on an MRI that don't cause us pain at all. So how can we then go throw an injection into that and expect a full outcome? Now, I guess painful shoulders are quite complex, but also very simple if you handle them appropriately. What I mean by complex is that pain is very, I guess for lack of a better word, multifactorial. It's not always just on the physical element. There's an element of stress, sleep, nutrition, load, as we spoke about earlier. Now, when I'm addressing a physical element of a painful shoulder, I like to treat it as a, a load imbalance, you know, that overflowing bucket. So we, we play around with certain exercises, mobility. We address the everyday stresses. But let's say at some point we've helped this person. We're now 10 weeks down the track. We've known this person for 10 weeks. We've improved their movement. They're feeling much stronger, but they can't shake this uncomfortable pinch. I guess at that point, I'm okay with getting a cortisone injection mainly into a bursa, directly into the bursa. I'm okay with those. 
reason being, I like to take the approach sometimes we need to calm things down before we can continue to build them back up. Now, you've got on top of the biomechanical dysfunction, I guess, and restored normal function. Yeah. Yeah, to address the inflammation that you see a need for it there sometimes. Spot on, spot on. Because I guess what a lot of people fail to understand, and I guess it's awesome we're talking about it, is your bursitis is not the problem. It's your messenger. It's screaming for help. It's a result of your problem. So if from day one we put cortisone into that, you're more than likely going to have that same bursa inflamed in another three weeks' time because you haven't addressed the problem which got you here in the first place. So I like to, as you just said, work on that biomechanical aspect, try and help this person overcome everything as much as possible, and then maybe three months down the track, if we're still experiencing an uncomfortable pinch maybe at the top of their movement, I think at that point it's acceptable we can go down the cortisone path. That makes total sense to me. Thanks, Isaac. That's right. So we've spoken about different types of shoulder injuries. We've spoken about you know, scans, injections. What can you do at home or can you diagnose it at home? Or like if someone's got shoulder pain, yeah. next step, they need to come in and see you know, an osteophysio, chiro. They need to, can they start doing something themselves? What's their first point of call? Yeah, cool. So I guess, look, if, if, you're, if you're out there and you started to experience some shoulder pain, you do have a few things you can try before you run off to see someone. Now, I guess... The main thing you can try if you are a regular gym goer, whether you like Pilates, yoga, whatever form of exercise you enjoy doing, if there's something which you've learned, it is a trigger to your pain, my instant number one advice you can do is you want to reduce some of that water in the bucket. Now, what I mean by that is reduce your load. So if you're used to going to yoga five times a week, don't stop altogether But you've got a few ways you can reduce that. You can maybe go twice a week. You could maybe still go five times a week, but not stay for the full hour. Maybe just have a half an hour session. So you want to reduce how much load you're putting on your body. I guess that's the number one thing you can try, reducing your overall load. The second thing you can do is move more throughout the day. If you're sedentary, if you're sitting in that one position, you're that desk worker we were talking about earlier, Every 40 or so minutes, just stand up, reach to the roof, bend over, touch your toes, move your arms around. When you stiffen up a fair bit, as we spoke about earlier, it can lead to that downward spiral and eventually lead to shoulder pain. So if you can break the cycle early, you're winning. I guess reduce your overall load and start moving more regularly throughout the day. That would be my first, first thing you can do. If you've noticed a particular exercise is causing you pain, I wouldn't say get rid of that exercise altogether. However, try a few variables. Maybe slow down the reps. Maybe do a few less reps. Maybe do a few less sets. Okay, because quite often enough, majority of our shoulder pain is related to too much load and we're not ready to tolerate it all just yet. I guess that would be my, my three things. The three things that I would suggest, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So I'm going to do less hanging clothes on the line. That's perfect for me. <laughs> I can definitely do that. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's really helpful. Hopefully the audience found that helpful. The shoulder problems are just so common. You know, like I said, every time I talk to someone at a barbecue, they mention themselves or their partner who's got a shoulder injury slowing them down from doing something. I think so. Make sure these people aren't getting unnecessary surgery or unnecessary injections when so much of it can be improved just with biomechanical rehabilitation. Yeah, for sure. You know, a lot of these surgeries actually fail to work. You know, the amount of people I've helped post-surgery and they're feeling no better than when they went into their surgery. So 
surgery and injections is not always the answer. There's much more you can do for yourself before going down that path or even considering that path, I guess. Isaac, have a great day. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you very much for having me. I hope it was helpful.